Hey everybody, welcome to An American F1. I know it's a late podcast, it's late in the week. It's going to be a mix of a Silverstone debrief and an Austria preview. But I'm going to start today by asking an important question. Ferrari fans, Charles Leclerc fans, Carlos Sainz fans, how are we feeling today? Have we gotten over what happened on Sunday? Are we happy? Are we pumped? Are we a little frustrated? Are we angry? Are we confused? Because let's face it, Silverstone for Ferrari was one of these races again where you're almost getting mixed emotions, kind of like Monaco. You're you're frustrated at strategy if you're a Charles Leclerc fan. You're happy as hell if you're a Carlos Sainz fan. And if you're a Ferrari fan and you want to see Ferrari in this championship battle, which would arguably have to be led by Charles Leclerc, how are you feeling? Are you frustrated? Are you happy? I don't know. Because if I was a Ferrari fan, I'd feel mixed emotions. Listen, I thought Silverstone, this Silverstone Grand Prix, by the way, was probably the best race of the season so far. And I think that's without a doubt. I don't think you could even argue there was a better race this year. This race had drama literally from lap one. We had good mid-race sequences. We had a good battle at the end. We had some good midfield battles at the end. I think Silverstone definitely should rank among some of the best races of the year. And really, for this race in Great Britain, it started off. We had the feeling like, I feel like Silverstone is one of these racetracks where we're always circling circling it on the calendar because we always have this feeling that it's going to be something dramatic. And I know, you know, in 2020, maybe we didn't have the best Silverstone races, but we had an exciting Silverstone race in 2021. We had that battle, of course, between Lewis and Max and the drama and the emails with Toto. And, and going into, and that last lap pass, right, on Charles Leclerc, just crushing his hopes of victory last year. But even we had the sense that this race weekend, something special was going to happen because right off the bat in qualifying, we had wet qualifying again. We've been very fortunate as Formula One fans. I feel like we've had quite a bit of wet qualifying and practice sessions this season, which is really exciting. I think there is no better neutralizer. We say it all the time when it rains. There's nothing better, no way to level the playing field more than qualifying in the wet. And we saw some great performances qualifying, right? We had Guan Zhou or Zhou Guan Yu, sorry, um, qualifying amazing in the Alfa Romeo. We had Nick Latifi getting into the top 10. Lewis Hamilton with a strong performance. And of course, Carlos Sainz coming out on top with a pole position. So I felt like off the bat, we had the feeling that Silverstone was going to be a great race. And it was. And that was right off the bat, right? So I guess we're going to get started talking about Silverstone, first of all. First and foremost, I am glad that Everybody is okay with that turn one incident. But man, you know, there are some moments in racing that just kind of make you nervous. That give you that, like, discomforting feeling. And again, I was forced to watch the race. I was away in the northeast part of the United States. I was forced to watch it on my phone. So I couldn't at first clearly see what had happened. I I was listening and watching the, the start of the race and I could see... The smoke going off in the background, and I did not realize at the time that it was a car upside down. I just heard, and George Russell's out of the race, and then, like, there's nothing more nervous to me 
than when I see another driver racing over to another driver. I just always get bad feelings for that. Maybe that's because, you know, at least in the history of me watching motorsport, I get flashbacks to, you know, the incident like with Dale Earnhardt. If anybody's familiar with NASCAR, you had Ken Schrader rushing over and like, you know, telling the medical crew to get there. And just anytime I see that, I immediately get nervous because there is nobody that understands the risk as much as anybody else than the drivers themselves. And seeing George Russell race over to Zhou Yu's car made me nervous as heck because, you know, you just get that feeling in your stomach and you don't like when you don't see the replays either because you know that, you know, there needs to be some kind of time to make sure the driver is okay. And that, that genuinely are things that get me nervous when watching motorsport. But we are glad to say that Zhou Guan Yu is okay. And, you know, I know there was a lot of controversy when it first came out, the Halo. But at this point in racing, in open wheel racing, uh, in open cockpit racing, we cannot give credit enough to the devices like the Aero Screen, like the Halo, which have prevented severe incidents. And, you know, I myself was wondering, too, because, you know, you saw the way Zhou Guan Yu's car flipped over and how it was lying perpendicular on the track I guess that would be or parallel to the track and I was listening to some interesting or I was reading an interesting thread Scarbs Tech on Twitter at Scarbs Tech you know Craig Scarborough really went into detail on how the systems that are in play I guess worked you know almost like the halo is sort of like a second defense against the roll bar which Arguably, I guess it will still take time for the FIA to find out, even if you, uh, you know, listen to or read some of the the reds on Twitter, too, by Albert Fabrega as well, that, you know, there were certain systems that had to work. And the FIA is going to investigate those and find out because Alfa Romeo is apparently one of the only teams that use a different type of roll cage. So or roll structure, which obviously, as Scarb's tech said, when it hit the road, I guess at first it worked and protected the driver's head and then everything else kicked in when the car skidded along the ground, including that roll into the catch fence. So, but really just remarkable to think of how far safety really has come in Formula One because we've had our share of scary incidents, not just in Formula One, but in Formula Two as well. And just to see the systems that have kicked in and have worked and have prevented things obviously no two accidents are the same and you're not going to be able to prevent every type of accident but it was great to see that those systems did indeed uh succeed and as part of that too you know kind of i know everybody was focused on the incident with Zhou Guan Yu, but watching the replays too alex albon took a pretty hard hit as well hard look getting hit from behind almost going head on into the wall at a very very sharp angle so glad to see he's okay too and feeling well because that whole accident that whole sequence very scary you don't like to see open wheel cars open cockpit cars going upside down you don't like to see cars with these tough hits but you know everything from the monocoque to the halo uh preserving the safety of the driver which is really at the end of the day the most important thing and you know we love the sport we know the risk but we don't want to see the drivers obviously in these races that we see week in and week out we don't want to see them get hurt really bad or even worse you know so just really got to give credit to 
the length safety has gone to prevent, you know, major incidents. But, yeah, so Silverstone got off to a, you know, I guess a an anxious start at first. And then once everything was okay, we were getting ready for that second restart. And, man, that, that second race, the race itself, that second start, I mean, Carlos with the little squeeze on Verstappen. And then we had ourselves just an interesting battle throughout. Really, if you... If you watch the race, I felt like if you thought of the race in maybe 15 lap sequences or 20 lap sequences, there was something interesting in each of those 20 sequence, each of those like sequences, those 20 lap sequences. And, you know, we had the first half, the battle between Carlos and Max and Charles coming through, then uh, Verstappen getting his little puncture. And then we had the whole, you know, Charles just really executing it in that first half of the race, even with that damaged wing. We had Lewis Hamilton in play, and then we have, you know, the back and forth, Will Ferrari, you know, team orders kicking in. There was at one point where Carlos and Charles did switch because, listen, at the at that first half of the race, Carlos Sainz, you could even argue maybe even the second half of the race, Carlos Sainz was arguably not quick enough. It just happened to work out for him. I mean, he did what he had to do. But, um, yeah, that, that first half, Carlos was not quick enough. And Charles, and they did the switch. And, you know, Ferrari was right to do that. And you could tell even then they were trying to find the right time to execute it. And, you know, they were getting pressure from at first Max, then Checo, then Hamilton. I mean, there were a lot of guys in the mix in this race the whole time. Like, even at one point, Fernando Alonso was potentially in the running for a podium. But basically, the big chaos that happened in this race was with that Ocon failure. I believe it was a, some kind of power failure, some kind of throttle failure. He couldn't get out of the turns. I believe he said he couldn't like accelerate out. So he stops in the middle of the track in in a very unsafe spot, not his fault. You know, the car just wouldn't go. Uh, but that really created the chaos. And, and right away for I pits, Carlos doesn't pit Charles. Now, I can understand why they wanted to split the strategy. I don't think maybe they wanted to. I think it was a very tough situation. It looked like it came out the safety car and it was just too late maybe for Charles to box. But ultimately having Carlos box and Charles not box is what essentially left Charles Leclerc out to dry for that last sequence of the race. Which, by the way, again, was an epic sequence of racing after that safety car restart and you know we had that battle first between Perez and Leclerc and then Lewis Hamilton sneaking in I mean it was truly epic to watch that battle and just seeing the way the pace the Mercedes had and the one thing about Silverstone was kind of what we've been waiting for this season right I believe that was something we wanted to see listen I'm all for the battle between Ferrari and Red Bull. I as long as the battle is entertaining and it's good, I'm all for that battle. But as a Formula 1 fan, as a racing fan, you want to see this wheel-to-wheel grinding hard racing. And I know some people had problems with the way, you know, there was so many different controversies too about who's pushing who to the side and who's taking the inside track, are they losing position, gaining position, maintaining track limits issues, and I get it. But at the end of the day, sometimes I just want to see good racing, and I think many people would agree with me. We saw good racing, and yes, I know people are going to have their criticisms, but I I have nothing wrong with it if it's good, hard racing, especially when you had 
three seasoned great drivers battling it out. And and that's something I hope we get to see the rest of this season. I hope we get to see Mercedes in the mix. I hope we get to see Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari in this mix. Throwing some curveballs into this championship battle. And if it were to happen this week at Austria, that would be truly, truly epic. But, yeah, I mean, it was pretty crazy, right? That that Ferrari blunder yet again. Leaving Charles Leclerc out to hang. Costing him maybe second at maybe a chance at victory. He seemed to have the pace I don't know if that safety car never happened, if Lewis Hamilton would have been able to sneak in and get a victory, but it's just, it's kind of mind-blowing that Ferrari just, in these spots, can't nail strategy. And, you know, it's one thing to say if it happened at Monaco once, fine. But it just seems like this has been a pattern that continues and continues and continues with Ferrari. And as a Ferrari fan, you got to feel some pain because... They've just thrown away. I, I feel like every week we're talking about Ferrari throwing away points. And they're really not because Carlos Sainz won. But this was a race where Ferrari had a chance to get maximum points against Max Verstappen. And they didn't. And I don't think they did. So kind of a bummer there. In other news, though, um, the Haas cars, right? Mick Schumacher and Kevin Magnussen starting, I believe, 17th and 18th on the grid. Working their way back through all, I know there were tons of DNFs and, you know, issues, retirements, whatever. But still, the way they worked up through the grid and raced to get double points for the Haas, credit to them. I mean, they've also, kind of like Ferrari, ironically, their Ferrari-owned team, have just had so many strategic blunders, have... Seem to have a fast car that just goes away when it comes to race mode. It's like, what's with Haas and tire problems, right? Wasn't that in 2019 where they had the car that was quick and just seemed to burn the tires really quickly and now it's happening again? It's like they can't fire on all cylinders sometimes. And it's kind of a bummer. Maybe it relates to their low budget. But for the Haas and Mick Schumacher, man, getting first points, exciting to see, exciting an exciting moment, kind of, you know, he really needed that kind of result, that kind of confidence builder, and truly, one would hope that he can continue that going into Austria this weekend. The other thing that I found interesting, too, speaking of that Ferrari battle, is the fact that Carlos Sainz, you know, one thing that is truly remarkable, remarkable, remarkable about Carlos Sainz is when he's dealing with Ferrari, he he does make a lot of voice inputs on the radio and seems to almost make his own calls and tell Ferrari like it is and you know we've seen it last year at Hungary we've seen it at other times and you got to give credit to the man because honestly truly a driver who obviously is playing second to Charles Leclerc Ferrari but trying to make his the most of his time you know we had I guess a little multi-21 moment between Carlos and Charles too and you know, you just got to kind of feel for Ferrari right now with, you know, Charles Leclerc says everything's fine. I'm sure it is. You know, he said they're more united than ever. I hope so, because really this team needs to be organized and focused on getting those victories back. And yeah, but really happy for Carlos Sainz getting his first race win. Uh, really, truly great. 
well-deserved win. I mean, there have been so many times I feel like we've talked about Carlos Sainz almost being there, right? Almost there at Monza against Pierre Gasly. Almost there at Monaco against Max Verstappen. Almost there at Montreal against Max Verstappen again. So, uh, oh, sorry, I said Max Verstappen for Monaco against Checo Perez. Jeez, who's my Red Bull there for a second? But yeah. He's just been almost there so many times, and it's great to see him close it out. And I really don't think there's another driver you could be more happy for getting a win than Carlos Sainz. I think, you know, truly somebody we've been waiting to see on the on the top step of the podium for a long time. And proud of Carlos. He's gone through a lot. He's had an extensive career, you know, through, you know, the Toro Rosso years, Renault. Um, obviously McLaren, Red Bull, uh, not Red Bull, geez, Ferrari now. So just going through that career with, uh, Carlos Sainz and truly getting to where he wants to be. And hopefully there'll be many more victories in his future. I think there will be, he's a very talented driver and I hope, you know, this doesn't really sour that Ferrari relationship with Charles Leclerc and the rest of the, and other people on the team. But yeah, I mean, Silverstone truly delivered on the hype, I would say. I'm still like in awe of that lap 45 to 46 sequence where we had that four-way, three-way battle. I mean, you saw Lando and Alonso sneaking into just it's what we want to see in Formula 1. We want to see that tight racing and could not be more happy about that. And I think a lot of people would agree that Silverstone was truly an epic race. There were some, you know, Moments, too, that I guess we should highlight on, you know, Yuki Tsunoda and Pierre Gasly coming together. And, you know, I know a lot has been made about this, uh, especially from Helmut Marco. And I don't know where people stand on it. We know that Yuki is famous for his outbursts on the radio. Obviously, getting into Pierre Gasly was not ideal for Alpha Tauri. Um, but... You know, there's there's nothing wrong with having Yuki go and take care of mental health issues. But the only thing that rubbed me the wrong way is, and I know we've had a lot of drivers talk about their mental health issues, like Lando Norris and George Russell, but and Pierre Gasly included, I believe. Roman Grosjean talked about it for a while, especially in Drive to Survive. But the only thing that kind of bothered me was I feel like Helmut Marco kind of throwing Yuki out there and kind of calling him like their little problem child. I, I think... I don't know. I feel like a lot of this, I, I, I know Yuki loves to yell, loves to swear on the radio. Maybe it is messing him up. I don't know. But I mean, I feel like there are tons of drivers on the grid that are cursing throughout on their radio transmissions. And, you know, I think it's part of the, you know, it's such a high pressure sport too. So, you know, I'm truly hoping the best for Yuki because I, I am personally a Yuki stan. I love Yuki and, you know, I think Yuki is... And gets a lot more hate than he deserves or gets a lot more criticism than he deserves. I know he had his rough first year, but he's actually been delivering a lot this year. And, you know, I think people just need to uh, kind of look at the bigger picture. And, you know, Yuki's doing what he needs to do. And he's very open and honest about it today. Uh, unfortunately, though, that was kind of not his choice. It was more brought on by Helmut Marko, who did not have to exactly say anything. But... Nevertheless, the other thing in the race, too, aside from our major accident in the beginning, which surprisingly didn't take out too many cars, reliability crept up again a little bit, you know? 
Uh, we had some issues with Esteban Ocon, had some issues with Valtteri Bottas, and I feel like, I don't know if it's because of the new regulations or whatever, but I feel like we're always talking about reliability issues in these race weekends. So, yeah, another significant reliability issue and uh, with some teams, and especially with Alfa Romeo, a little concerning because they're one of those teams that have been quick, and with Alpine too, they've been quick, but are suffering major from reliability issues. And really, our championship battle, our Constructors' Championship, is getting interesting in the midfield because I was looking at the standings today, and obviously the main team that looks like they're going to take third is Mercedes. And that fourth, again, that fourth through sixth between McLaren, Alpine, and Alfa Romeo is very, very close. And, you know, it almost makes you wonder. I know McLaren is solely, they say they're still focused on 2022, trying to get fourth in the constructors, which, you know, it is kind of funny because it, it does feel like they have thrown away a lot of points. I know, obviously, Lando leading the way with McLaren, but they I have felt like they... You know, they kind of have thrown away a lot of points. And to be fourth where they stand, you know, if they could help figure out what's going on with Daniel Rick's car. I don't know why Danny Rick, again, is off the pace. But there was quite a big difference, again, between the two. And, you know, I feel like we say week in and week out, too, with Daniel Ricciardo. Like, when is he going to find that form? We've been saying it almost since last year with the exception of Monza. You know, so really hoping that. He, j- I just want to see a good Daniel Ricciardo race. And I think he's going to surprise us one of these races. I don't know where it'll be. It's got to be somewhere where the McLaren is good. But we'll have to see what happens there. Um, but yeah. So going into Austria, right? Austria. I think we kind of know our expectations for Austria. Everybody I've, ta- I've talked to. And I, I think there's no doubt that you people would agree with this. But Aust- Austria gotta make sure i don't say australia austria has just typically been a red bull track i mean there have been so many winners from the red bull crew and obviously it is their home track you know max verstappen won in 2018 2019 2021 so it's just historically been a good red bull track these last couple of years you know with the exception of valtteri Bottas uh winning a few recently um and Hulkenberg, I believe, too. But, you know, you just got to wonder if this will be, again, another Max Verstappen race. And you know what I kind of like about this three-way battle that we're getting or this this introduction of Mercedes starting to maybe, maybe Mercedes starting to sneak their way into consistently battling for wins or, you know, podiums. These race weekends, I think it's, um, I think we're starting to see, again, the... Uh, the little hint of 2021, you know, I don't think 2021 is out of anybody's minds yet. I think, oh man, this week, this week feels, you, I, <laughs> I was getting 2021 vibes this weekend between Lewis and Max. And one of the things about this race weekend, right? So we know the big, the big corner of cops corner, right? So the big the big, uh, the big, the big um, controversy between Max and Lewis, obviously from last year, was the cops' corner overtaking, right between Hamilton and Charles Leclerc, and we have seen some interesting banter. So one of the first things that happened coming out of Silverstone was Lewis Hamilton, and you know we're starting to see the Lewis. 
the the fiery Lewis, right? You know, beginning of the year was the Lewis focused on getting Mercedes back to where they need to be. And I think maybe this is a sign that Lewis is starting to feel more confident with that car because one of the first things was in an interview this week. You know, he was interviewed and the reporter goes, oh, so Lewis, you're one of the fastest cars. And he corrects him and says, no, one of the fastest drivers. So obviously correcting himself, you know, correcting the reporter that, no, it's not just the car. It's me. I'm wheeling this thing. So, yeah, we saw a little fiery Lewis this weekend. And then uh, also saying about uh, Charles Leclerc that, you know, they raced themselves quite gentlemanly into Cop's Corner. And they had, you know, quite a good race. And this has prompted a little uh, back and forth. And, you know, Max Verstappen now asked about that incident and now we're seeing max you know maybe the little you know i got a championship under my belt i'm feeling a little confident i'm gonna say what i want to say throw my little dig so max verstappen with uh a witty response goes well i don't know if we want to call it witty but you know his response was i think it's quite nice that at 37 years of age you can still learn to hit an apex so we're starting to see that there is not really any love lost huh, between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. Maybe I'm making a bigger thing about this than I should. But I do kind of like the 2021 vibes. I like the little Red Bull-Mercedes rivalry. I like to see the two teams taking digs at each other. You know? Listen, racing, yes. Formula One racing should be gentlemanly. Yes, it should. Obviously. Uh, especially when it comes to racing into high-speed corners, you don't want to see guys hitting each other and running themselves off the track. But, but, I think it's alright to have a little rivalry where we have drivers taking subtle digs, you know, having the fiery Lewis Hamilton and the, I guess you could say, cocky Max Verstappen going back and forth with each other. And, and, this extended a little. You know, Lewis has been on quite a roll this week because, again, another Red Bull Mercedes little dig, you know, Christian Horner criticizing Mercedes strategy saying, you know, basically that because Mercedes put Lewis on the hards at lap 33, that basically uh, of Silverstone that they let Ferrari off the hook and basically gifted Ferrari the win. And Lewis, again, we're I'm telling you, we're entering the Lewis fiery stage of the season. Confident Lewis. And just so you know, a confident Lewis to me is a scary Lewis. We saw it last year, right? Lewis isn't done. You never tell Lewis he's done until he's done. And we saw confident Lewis last year in those last couple of races. And arguably, you know, without some FIA mistakes, arguably, dude would have won his eighth championship quite easily. And not even arguably, obviously, would have won his eighth championship quite easily. I think that's something we can't deny. But Hamilton, feeling confident, says, you know what, Christian Horner? I don't really care about that guy. I don't really pay much attention to what he has to say. So, you know, obviously, you know, we're starting to get these little hints of this Mercedes Red Bull banter, rivalry. I don't know what you want to call it, but I'm not going to lie. I'm enjoying it. I feel like, you know, this is the kind of fire we need sometimes in a season that, you know, for the most part has been cruising for Red Bull. You know, quite an easy sale for Red Bull. I think it's something... That I'm alright with seeing. I'm alright with seeing a little, you know, back and forth between Red Bull and Mercedes. And honestly, if Mercedes enters this battle, like I've been saying, if Mercedes, let's just say in Austria, 
this race weekend. Imagine this. This would be like the ideal Austrian race weekend, right? To me. I want to see some teams. I definitely want to see Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes battling at the top. I want to see all those drivers for a chance for the W, for a chance for the win. Those would be some vibes I can get behind. And I have a feeling we're going to see it. I know I know what people say about Austria being a Red Bull track. But you know what? It's a different season. Mercedes has made some leaps and bounds. Ferrari's still in the mix. I don't think this is a guaranteed Red Bull victory. I don't think so. And I'm excited to see what's going to happen. And, and maybe I'm wrong. Usually when I make a prediction like this, I'm way wrong. But what I'd also like to see. Because I think there are some fast teams in that midfield that can steal a victory. I think an Alpine can steal a victory. I think an Alfa Romeo can steal a podium. I think even a McLaren can steal, you know, maybe a victory here or there, depending on the situation. But those Alpines really, really interest me because they they have shown a lot of speed sometimes. And the pace just isn't quite there. But I don't know. I feel like they can. I would like to see Alpine sneak into there for a podium as well with Fernando Alonso, Estebano, kind of solid driver pairing. And these are just things I'd like to see. I'm not saying they're going to happen, but I'm going to fall short of saying that Alfa Romeo can sneak a victory. I think they would need some uh, luck, but we have seen glimpses of them being fast too in a straight line and things like that. So I don't know, but it's quite interesting going into this race weekend. There are still a lot of ifs there are still a lot of questions there are still a lot of things that need to be solved and i don't know austria typically you know the racing in austria hasn't always been the most exciting i know we've had some unique podiums there but i'm hoping that this week based on everything going around based on you know some upgrades some teams that are fast and new regulations i'm hoping that we see a little mix hopefully we see a little something different, something unique going on between these different teams. Because I truly think that is uh, what makes this sport great when we have different teams going at it for different wins. We don't want to see a Red Bull or Ferrari-dominated season. Because, listen, I, obviously, if you're a Red Bull or Ferrari fan, I'm sure you're thrilled. But for me, as just a you know classic Formula 1 fan, I'm honestly a fan of a lower-level team, AlphaTauri, but... Doesn't mean I have Red Bull allegiances all the time. Honestly, to me, it would be interesting to see just something unique happen in Silverstone. Ah, uh, Silverstone in Austria. Just, just give me one of these times. Give me an Alpine battling for a win. Give me that. Give me that one time. Just give me a Fernando Alonso win. That's all I'm asking. Um, some of the things I saw happen to see in news this week that I just want to bring up. I saw somewhere where uh, I wish I had the source with me. Uh, I believe I got it from Formula Racers on Twitter. I saw something about, I'm probably going to be wrong with this. I know I saw it, but Sebastian Vettel, poor Seb, man. I mean, this guy has been working with this Aston Martin team and the pace just hasn't been there. I heard somewhere where he really said that Aston Martin has to up the pace, has to really show some improvement in the second half for him to continue and I, I would agree you know I feel bad for the guy he's just kind of twirling away on there 
So that was a little disappointing. And then I happened to be reading F1 briefings. And this is something for me that really interested me. Um, it was about Michael Andretti talking about his attempts to enter Formula One. And listen, this this race weekend in Silverstone, I totally forgot to mention. Of course, with this being an American F1, how could I not mention this? Logan Sargent, man. I got to say, I was watching that race Saturday morning. I was probably driving my buddy nuts. So, for the record, I was driving up to Maine at 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time from New York. So, I was driving up at actually like 4 a.m.-ish. And, obviously, I flipped on the Formula 2 race on our drive up there. It was about a five-hour drive. And I said, listen, man, I got to watch this Formula 2 race because there's an American on the pole. Good chance to win. And I was saying all the all race weekend, starting once Logan Sargent got that pole, I said, man... I want to hear that national anthem on the podium. And I got to say, one of the coolest things about formula racing, right? About Formula One, about Formula Two is it's not just a thing about team. It's not just a thing about driver. To me, one of the coolest things about this sport is the sense of homeland. The sense of pride a driver can bring to a country. Carlos Sainz, for example, or Fernando Alonso. Carlos Sainz getting victory was not just a victory for Carlos Sainz, not just a victory for Ferrari, but those Spanish fans have been waiting to hear that national anthem on the podium for the longest time. When the national anthem of Italy is played for a Ferrari win, especially if it was at Monza or Imola, the pride. So to hear... Logan Sargent win. The first Formula 2 USA driver. The first to win as an American. The first driver to win on that level in seven years from America. To hear that national anthem on the podium again was special. Even though it was just a Formula 2 race, it truly meant a lot to me as an American. To see that there was somebody... That could achieve that victory. It it really did bring me chills. And just thinking of the possibilities that... Listen, I'm not saying Colton Hurd is going to make it. I'm not saying Logan Sargent's going to make it in Formula 1. But to think about those possibilities of one day hearing that at the Formula 1 level again would be epic. And that brings me to... I mean, maybe we'll get a Haas win somehow, pending a miracle, you know. Uh, but um, that brings us to Andretti. Andretti racing coming to Formula One. There's been so much controversy with this. There have been some team principals like Zach Brown who have supported Andretti. But there have been others like Total Wolf and others against Andretti's entry because of revenue splitting, arguing that Andretti going into the team into the Formula One team base is going to dilute it and obviously dilute the money that the team owners and teams can make. The other side, too, Stefano Domenicali also saying that he doesn't see an agreement for... He doesn't see a necessity for another team. And listen, here's what I'm going to say. It's not that Formula One needs an American team. Formula One has survived without a major... I know Haas is an American team, but... You know, another American team. Or, Or an American team with a big name like Andretti. It's not that Formula One needs it. But 
We are at a time in this sport where it's growing, especially among young people in the United States. And I know if you're listening to this from England or Europe or the other side of the pond, you might not care. But to bring in a big team name like Andretti, who's had success in IndyCar, to bring them over with that name, maybe they could even bring over a hype driver. To bring that over, to put a full American operation in Formula One, could benefit the sport immensely. Could help it grow here in the United States, where to be fair, not that many people do care about Formula One. Yes, the sport is growing, but I can tell you in my daily life, I do not run into that many people who are willing to talk about Formula One. They're willing to talk about NASCAR. They might talk about IndyCar, but... They don't know shit about Formula One. So, to bring something like that to more attention, and if they could succeed, I think it would help the sport immensely. Especially a sport now where we're adding races in Miami, Texas, and Las Vegas. I feel like it would mean a lot. But again, obviously I'm a biased point of view because I'm an American, and I want to see an American team. I want to see this sport grow. I want to see it become popular here in the States. Because I think, truly, the States have a lot to offer with racers, with young racers. There are people who I think would embrace this sport. I think there are drivers that are worthy of participating in Formula 1 that haven't had the opportunity. Maybe because they don't, not that they don't know about it, but because we don't have the infrastructure. And maybe something like Andretti could be a stepping stone. And I'm not saying that Formula One has to have an American driver. I think one of the most beautiful things about Formula One is its diversity of drivers. I would like to see more diversity of drivers. I want to see drivers from other continents too represented. I want to see a driver from an African country. And I'm not just talking like Jody Schechter from South Africa. I want to see more drivers from the Asian countries, from from. Everywhere in the world. From Central, and that, from Central and South America. I think the sport needs that diversity. I want to see women race in the sport. Jamie Chadwick, for example. Wish she could get an opportunity in Formula 3 or Formula 2. I think she's well deserving of one of those opportunities. I think Formula 1 has a place in the world. It is a world wide sport an international sport we've had how come why i know we've had technically one formula one driver i believe that was a woman that participated um you know we've had that previously in the sport but one of the best drivers lewis hamilton is of african descent I think that is great for the sport. Arguably one of the best drivers of all time. And I think that diversity needs to be celebrated. So. I want to see more diversity. And I think. A lot of stepping stones could be made in that regard. I kind of went off on a tangent there. But. At the end of the day. Want to see. Andretti get into the sport. See what they can do. But obviously there's going to be a lot of resistance. But. Yeah, looking forward to the Australian Grand Prix. It's a sprint race weekend. It's going to be interesting. Tomorrow is going to be hype. 
there's going to be, it's going to be, these are always like whirlwind weekends, right? Because I love the sprint personally. I don't know how you guys feel about the sprint, but I'm a big fan of the sprint. I like that we get, well, basically we get two races, right? But I love the chaos that is tomorrow because you have practice one, right? And these teams have to figure it out right away. We get practice one, teams got to figure it out, and then boom, qualifying three hours later. I love that. And I love the chaos that it brings. And then we get the practice and sprint on Saturday. So really hyped for a busy race weekend. Really looking forward to see what's going to happen. And the interesting thing is if this happens to be like we've seen recently where it's a Red Bull dominated thing, that's going to be way more extra points again for Red Bull. My gut feeling, I know people are going to want to hear this before I sign off. My gut feeling is that if this is a good Red Bull race weekend, this championship is probably going to be locked up by Mexico. The latest, right? But I'm hoping for chaos. I want a DNF somewhere. Not, not a, I don't want to like an accident DNF. I could take, you know, I could take a Red Bull reliability issue here or there and Ferrari or Mercedes capitalizing it. I just want a close championship battle. Is that too much to ask? Is that too much? I just want Ferrari to get back in this, Claude's way, Claude's way back in this battle. Maybe a George Russell, Lewis Hamilton. You know, just come on. Make it happen. But either way, looking forward to an interesting race weekend. What could be a chaotic race weekend. We'll see what happens. Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget to follow our blog at www.f1idiots.com. You can follow me at anamericanf1. And you can also follow our website on Twitter at F1 Idiots. Thank you guys for listening, and I will be talking to you hopefully much earlier after the Australian Grand Prix. Thanks for listening, and have an excellent race weekend.